Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, a show about business and some of the best beverages on the planet, where we hear stories and talk about strategy in the process of building, growing, and actualizing an idea, all while sipping on some of our favorite beverages. The goal of this podcast, once again, is to create leverage and learn about how to get from where you are to where you want to go. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and today on the show, we have Miranda Burns and Brian Jones. Welcome, guys. I'm really happy to have you here. Hi, welcome. How are you? And um, you guys are from Pee Wee's Ice Cream. Is that correct? Yep. Yes. So we haven't had an ice cream spot in the show yet, and I really wanted to get one on. You guys are local. So just kind of tell me about you. Tell me about your background and tell me what Pee Wee's does. All right. Uh, name's Ryan. Uh, mechanic by trade, actually. Uh, so it's kind of a, quite the departure going from turning wrenches for a living to running an ice cream business. Um quite the long story on how we got there, but uh, I'm sure we'll touch more on that further into the show we get. I'm Miranda. I am a classically trained pastry chef. I've been a pastry chef for 12 years. Um, making ice cream was always my favorite thing to do. And so it kind of just, it's a long story <laughs> to how we got here, uh, but that's where we started. No, absolutely. And, and today what we want to do is really take that story and unpack it. We want to hear the full story Maybe not the full story, but depending on how, how long the story is. But um, so let's kind of go back to the beginning. Um, when people generally start businesses, they have some inkling that, hey, this is something I might want to do. It starts off kind of small, then it kind of grows over time. Is that is that pretty um, much hit, hit home for you guys or or is there a different path to your story? Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's honestly, it's quite funny um, because we we were literally, we were both in jobs that we weren't super happy with. So we And had, what, what were those? Uh, so I... You know, same. She was still a pastry chef. I was gotcha. a mechanic. But the places we were at, we didn't necessarily see ourselves getting very much further. Sure. So we had a little bit of money saved up, and uh, we decided to go on a long-term vacation. So we spent about a month and a half in Hawaii, and then about nice. a month and a half or so in Thailand. And uh, it's actually it's funny. While we were sitting on the beach in Hawaii, um, mildly inebriated, a friend called and said, uh, "You know, I have uh, an associate that has a bake shop and she makes a little bit of ice cream. She's got a machine and a portable freezer. She's going to sell it because she's getting out of the ice cream business. Are you guys interested? And we said, all right, let's talk it over a little bit. That was a five minute discussion. And we're like, yeah, sure. Sounds like a great idea. So we bought an ice cream machine, came home and uh, started practicing making ice cream. Yeah, it was um, our good friend, Melissa. She owns Micha Chocolate, which is in Cottonfield. Okay. Gotcha. And she really was the force behind getting us started. Uh, she always knew that ice cream was my favorite thing to make. And so with this equipment, she was like, Hey, you know, we can get you into a farmer's market, just see how it goes, you know, start small. Cause that's exactly how she started. And so we didn't think anything of it. We figured it would just be a side project hobby for us. When we mm. came home, we both got full-time jobs again, got you know, our apartment back started just trying to figure out what we wanted to do, uh, moving forward, you know, trying to save money back up after sure. spending it all. Um, and we started going to the farmer's markets at Burlington County farmer's market. And we were selling maybe like 30 pints a week, you know, nothing hmm. crazy. We were both yeah. working full time. Um, and then that 30 pints slowly turned into about what a hundred pints. By the um, end of the year? Yeah, roughly by August. The market started in May. By August, we were up to 60 pints. So at that point, we had had to buy a second freezer to be able to store more ice cream and bring gotcha. it with us. And uh, 
you know, but still nothing crazy. I think we might've made like 10, 15 grand that year. It was just vacation money. It was, it was a cushion, you know, it wasn't anything sure. that we intended to get really serious in any quick way. Was there, is there any point where it was like, um, whoa, like we thought we were making this amount and now we're making this, is this like a little more than a hobby now? And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, when COVID hit, we, I lost my job, uh, when Philadelphia shut down, I was a corporate pastry chef in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, I, I was reading, you had a bunch of different spots you're at. Yeah. Barbuzo was one of them, I think. Uh, I... So Barbuzo is where I had started. Um, okay. that was one of my first jobs in Philly when I was 20. Okay. Um, I worked there. I worked at Rittenhouse Tavern. I was the pastry chef at Stateside. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID, I was the corporate pastry chef for veg restaurant group. Oh yeah. I've, 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 eaten there before yeah yeah so. they're uh, they're roasted carrot oh, <laughs> oh the roasted carrot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a no pun intended but that's a rabbit hole we <laughs> um so you know we were both home he his work had closed down too mm. because no one knew what was going on all of philadelphia had shut down no one had any answers and we got a call that the farmer's market was still going to be on because it was open air outdoors yeah. and so we figured, all right, let's just start making more ice cream. So I, uh, we rented kitchen space from another good friend and I started making more and more ice cream. And then we bought another freezer. And by the end of that summer, we were looking for a bigger warehouse or kitchen to rent so we could start making even more ice cream. Yeah, it was one of those. I mean, now we have the scoop shop, but the scoop shop was secondary. It was, um, it was more along the lines of we were looking for commercial kitchen space to be able to kind of ramp up to like a mass level wholesaling, just do nothing but pints gotcha. and cases of pints, try to do the whole foods route, Wegmans and all that. And we quickly came to realize that the, you know, the rent difference in a shop versus a warehouse really wasn't that much. And it's like, oh, we got to be there anyway. Sure. Maybe we can sell a little bit of ice cream. And it kind of snowballed from there. So. Yeah. When we met our landlord, we heard about the feed mill project from uh, another tenant over there. Hmm. And we came to look at the building and we heard about, you know, the whole complex about the barbecue, the coffee, the brewery, the shops. We just thought it was such a great hub and hmm. Medford is such a wonderful town. We really just wanted to be a part of. And, and where are you guys from originally? Are you from Delaware, I believe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Delaware. And then um, were you both in Philadelphia when you were working in Philadelphia? Or were you commuting there? We both lived in Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. So how, how did you settle on Medford? Is that just the connection that you had? over in Haddonfield and was yeah, like, well, it, that was the ice cream thing. And then you had a connection over here that was like, we have this op opening that's coming to this feed mill. So it was actually, it was a matter of, you know, we, we our customer base and our brand was built in Burlington County going to the mm -hmm. farmer's market. We had had a couple other ones a little further South, but Burlington was really like, this is 90% of our sales was done at Burlington County farmer's market. Um, so we, uh, we had gone, you know, built a lot of relationships with different other local vendors, other small businesses, farms and such. And actually the, the person who approached us about um, going to the feed mill project was Joe from Harvest Coffee. He was like, gotcha. hey, we've got this great little spot. We're looking to move. We're like, OK, so we go look at it, like Miranda said. And um, it's just we kind of once we met everybody else involved with the project, Kings Road, Whole Hog, it was just kind of like we fell in love with the idea. And we we're like, all right, well, I guess we're opening a scoop shop now. So um yeah, no, but that's, it's, it is kind of funny. We get that quite often because we both still live in Delaware. People see the Delaware tags and they're like, you guys drive all the way from Delaware. And it's like, yeah, it's where the brand's built, you know? So, yeah. So um, I guess there's in any business, there's a, a certain, I guess, a fork in the road. And mm -hmm. so for you guys, you kind of had a, an option. You were like, Hey, we could go this wholesaling route and try to do this. 
but what kind of pushed it over the edge as far as going the scoop shop route as opposed to really doing that wholesale plan? Honestly, it was the the, the location, the feed mill, hmm. everybody in it. It, it. We saw it as a great opportunity to further build the brand, um, further reach new people, gave us more opportunity to be able to create more flavors and create different types of ice cream. Um, we're actually known pretty well for our vegan ice creams. Um, and uh, we have a pretty large following just off of those alone. Hmm. So, and we, you know, we have other things we're working on, you know, we constantly get requests for like sugar-free stuff like that. Um but yeah, it was just one of those that allows us to really see, get reactions from customers and know how they feel about ice creams because the face doesn't lie. At the end of the day, they can tell you, oh, this is amazing, but you can see it in their face as soon as they eat it. It's like <laughs> it's 98% of our ice creams. People are just, you can see how excited they are once they actually eat it. So. No, that's awesome. I had that same problem for years when I was uh, home brewing beer. You mm. know what I mean? And like you really, I mean, it's the kind of thing where actually maybe it's the opposite problem. You want honest feedback from somebody. Mm -hmm. like, hey, tell me what you think about it. And they're just like, yeah, it's great. And you're like, no, no. I mean, I'm sure it's okay, but like, please let me know. I'm trying to get better for next time. Yeah, you course. know what I mean? Um, so honest feedback is, is very important. Um, so maybe let's rewind a step because I'm kind of interested in um, the background of pastry chef. Where did you kind of decide to do that? Or at what point in your journey did you, did you get in your head that you're like, I want to make desserts for my entire life? I wasn't super sure what I wanted to do when I was in high school. You know, I, I liked doing a lot of different things. Um, but one thing I kind of realized was whenever, whenever I was sad or happy or bored or anything at home, I was baking, I was hmm. figuring stuff out in the kitchen. Uh, I don't come from a family of a lot of home cooks. Um, you know, my not saying that I didn't eat well. Um, but we, <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on a lot of, you know, like crock pot, you know, cake, uh, box cake mixes, things like that. We didn't really bake anything from scratch. And for some reason I wanted to figure out how and to mm. make it for my family. And so when the time came to figure out when to go, where to go to college, I was looking at culinary schools mm. and I toured quite a few. Um, and I finally settled on the restaurant school at Walnut Hill college. Um, I went there for my associate's degree. And really I started to go there because I thought I wanted to decorate cakes. Wow. And I took a cake baking and decorating class and I hated it. Really? Yes. Why? I I'm not patient. I'm mm. not. I, I tell my employees all the time. I'm a lazy pastry chef. Mm. I'm not great at like waiting for things to rise. I hate waiting for things, you know, to so, bake in the oven and for things to cool. So does ice cream fit that? personality I, type, I guess. I guess it does. For some reason, when we learned ice cream in school and then I went and I started working at restaurants and I, I figured out that I loved making plated desserts and, mm. and smaller things. I don't like making, you know, cookie dough for 600 cookies. Like in <laughs> hotels, you make huge batches of things right. in restaurants. You're making, you know, 12 to 24 orders of a certain thing for a night. Things are always rotating. It's more like craft, more like small batch. It is, kind of. exactly. Got it. And I really enjoyed making ice cream. And I just kind of kept tweaking recipes and working on things throughout the years. And, um, you know, I just, for some reason, ice cream is always my favorite thing to make. And it's, you know, I measure a lot of things. A lot of our recipes are grammed out just mm. for, you know, the sake of making sure 
this batch of mint ice cream tastes like the next batch of mint ice cream because sure. consistency is very key. It's the worst thing when you go to a bar and you have a cocktail that you love and you order mm. a second one and the bartender is changed this, shifts I, I, yeah, and didn't yeah, make exactly. it as well. So, you know, we measure a lot of things, but there's still the taste, like every base gets tasted before we spin it. And sometimes it might need more lemon juice. It might need more salt. Hmm. So, uh, so Brian, are you the, the prime taster? I'm sure you have been for across over, over uh, the, over the years. I mean, I eat an absurd amount of it. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I don't quite have the palate to check the base and see what, uh, what's going on there. What needs to be added. I do to an extent I've definitely learned. Um, but as far as finished product, yeah, I do quite a bit. Of <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my brother, he, he actually came by that one night. He eats more ice cream than anyone I've ever met. So you guys can maybe do a competition to see who's, who would, who would win there. More. <laughs> but like he, I mean, even growing up, I mean, I don't know how it was in your guys' houses, but we always used to eat ice cream for dessert. Like no matter what time of year it was like dead of winter. And we're crushing like a, a gallon of ice cream like a night. With, yeah, there was always a half gallon of Turkey Hill in the freezer, yeah, like or yeah. whatever you know, EVs, something like that. There was craft ice cream. I feel like it's just recently started to become a big sure. thing. Um, probably in what the last ten years or so. I think so. But it wasn't when I was a kid. You know, it was just it was whatever was in the supermarket, and that was it. Yeah. So um, this is an interesting tangent, but um, what is both of yours favorite commercial ice cream? Just for as far as quality or just like flavor, I'm just kind of curious, you know, with you guys being in the business, um, what your thoughts are of the whatever's available publicly. Uh, as far as whatever's available publicly, um, not flavor specific, but I always had a thing for Edie's. Mm. Um, I always really liked that ice cream texturally. It's very, very good. Um, I was never a big fan of Briars. I always found it to be a little icy. Um, I did too. Turkey I, Hill was okay. You know, their flavors weren't that great, but I always found Edie's had the best texture. So. Got it. I actually agree. When I was younger, Edie's huh. slow churned. Yes, was, the slow churn. Yes, when yes, my mom I, would buy, when it was on sale, we would get it. Mm. And that was always my favorite. It was like fluffier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean, slow churned? Is that... I honestly, I think it's just it's a, a marketing, marketing thing. thing. Yeah, it's yeah. most likely made on the same machine. I just, yeah. You know. Do they, um, is, is it actually different or is it just like a placebo thing? I think they're probably just adding more heavy cream to aerate it. Yeah, more heavy cream. Yeah. yeah. I mean, realistically, actually, to get it to be more aerated, you want it to go faster, but instead of slow turn. But yeah, I'm, I'm honestly yeah, not sure. Yeah. I know, like a <laughs> it lot sounds of those good. <laughs> commercial, like Edie's and Turkey Hill and Briars, we get this question all the time. People will come in the shop and they're like, oh, is your ice cream gluten free? And at first, Brian and I were like, it's ice cream. Like, why are you asking it's me milk that? and sugar. But yeah. then I, I finally researched it and I figured out that a lot of the big commercial companies will actually put like gluten filler in their ice cream to bulk it out because it's mm. a cheaper way for them to bulk it out. And then that way they can make more money from actually, selling it you know, you. this is interesting because on some of like the adjunct ice creams, like a lot of like pieces of actually like, like marshmallow and mm. stuff like that in them, I noticed that. I'm guessing there has to be a certain percentage of cream for it to actually be ice cream. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ice cream has to be 51% dairy mm. and it can be up to 49% air, but it can't be more than 50% air or else it like legally you can't sell it. It goes into the frozen dessert territory. Yeah. Not yeah. Ice cream. Exactly. Yeah. And so even on some of those major brands, mm -hmm. you'll see like, It'll say frozen dairy dessert. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't even ice cream. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's, I don't know. It's, I just feel like it's one of those things that's, 
I'm not saying it has to be like the the main form of discussion, but it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a, you know it's interesting. I feel like most people don't know that or haven't seen that on on their other packaging. Yeah, no, I feel like it's something similar to how uh, you know champagne can't be referred to as champagne unless it's from the Champagne region of France. Right. You know, otherwise, it's just sparkling wine. Or sure. scotch isn't necessarily scotch unless it comes from Scotland, or is not you know it's made in that certain process. Right. Know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so what about? inspiration for you guys. So it seems like you do have all these major brands out there who are making ice cream. And it seems like you guys are more after the local population. Um, but with, with that, you said you're also into the, the craft side, the small batch stuff. So from an innovation standpoint, what does that look like? Um, I'm sure you have your staples, but as far as pushing the barriers a little bit, how does that translate into business? So, um, I, I feel like a lot of it, and this goes back to the whole farmer's market thing and, um, building relationships with other local farmers. A, a lot of times it'd be a matter of, we'd have a farmer come up and say, Hey, I have a small run of X fruit. You know, I, I don't have anything off the Black top. Berries. Yeah. Blackberries yeah. or the, or the, 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 the pawpaws, right? Oh, the pawpaws. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be like, there's not mm. enough here for me to sell. Do you guys want to try and make ice cream with it? And we're like, yeah, why not? Sure. Like, let's see how it goes. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. Um, but it's nice to be able to, you know, pick and choose what ice creams we're going to make based off product availability. And that's one of the things as a brand and as a company, we pride ourselves on, we'd like to try and get, go locally as much as humanly possible, as far mm -hmm. as our um, ingredients goes. One of the things that we actually have a big problem with is dairy um, because there's no small time New Jersey dairy farms left. Mm. Um, and anybody that is available and does sell milk wholesale, they want us to buy 150, 200 gallons at a time. And it's like, it would take us probably three months to get through that. Right. So, um, but yeah, that's trying to stay local as much as possible. Not necessarily stay local as far as getting our product out there, but sourcing ingredients, we sure. try to stay local as much as possible. Yeah. I've noticed some of your stuff. I think you guys use like local honey for mm -hmm. some of your, um, flavors and what else is local that you guys use? Uh, our strawberries are coming from Specca farm and Cranberry Hall farm. Our blueberries come from Wayland, Wayland farm, yep. which is in Shemong. Hmm. Um, Yes. most of our coffee ice creams actually yeah. all of our all coffee, our coffee. Ice, cream, ice creams uh we use harvest coffee yeah, you know, yeah. So we get coffee from joe and that's actually a really fun relationship because we don't always know what kind of coffee ice cream we're going to make a lot of times it's like hey joe what do you have available that i can buy wholesale and we'll be like oh i have this roast is known so we'll try it and it's like okay and then we take that particular roast and take it in whatever direction we feel is awesome for you know, whatever coffee ice cream, like we have our traditional, you know, regular coffee ice cream. Um, we just call it harvest coffee, but we've done quite a few other ones. We have a coffee biscotti one. Mm. Um, let's see what else have we done. Oh, the bourbon barrel aged. Oh mm. yeah. Was so good. We did that for St. Patrick's day. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of being small enough where you can have that agility. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's like, if you're so big and people you know, people want their ice cream. You kind of have to, to make it for them. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They would be disappointed if you don't, but being on, a, on like a, a smaller scale is something I've always loved because you can do so many cool things. If something doesn't work out well, okay, on to the next one. You know what I mean? You don't have like tons of backstock just sitting there trying to get through it. Yeah. And not only that, logistically to go to be able to have that kind of fun and go large level wholesale, you you can't have, I mean, we've got approximately 130 different flavors on rotation seasonally, wow. depending on what comes up. Some we don't make very often, some we haven't made in a couple of years, but there's about 130 flavors that we've done. 
that's a nightmare to try and do that in a wholesale <laughs> level. Like it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, you just couldn't, you couldn't keep that much stock, sure. that much inventory, and you couldn't crank it out fast enough for demand if you were trying to make it on the spot. So, and that's not to say that in the future, we don't necessarily go the direction of we pick eight to 10 of the most popular flavors and say, Hey, these are going to be available at wherever we can get them into. Um, but right now that, that is the fun portion of having the scoop shop is the collaborations, being able to experiment, being able to have all the different flavors. Do you think that, that is something having experienced it now at the scoop shop, that's something you'll always want to keep. Um, I, I can, I'm just talking from experience here when I've worked in small venues, even like the, the beer brewing, it's very cool to have a very small niche place. And I've seen it before where inevitably people at breweries, um, if they started it, they'll become a very large brewery. They'll end up doing all the stuff they don't want to do, whether that's administrative stuff, and inevitably they'll, they'll sell and they'll start another brewery. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just they can kind of go back to the roots. Um, so do you see the scoop shop kind of as a thing that you want to keep doing because you like it? Or what, what do you kind of see as the future of the scoop shop? It's funny because I feel like we have this discussion and it teeters back and forth a lot of times. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's nice to it's nice to, to keep it small. You know, we have a little bit of fun now as long as we're profitable enough that we can pay our bills and all that. And then, and then there's sometimes where we have a killer week and we get straight into, all right, let's take over the world. You know what I mean? Like, let's be the next Turkey Hill. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it varies so much. And it, it sounds funny, but that's exactly how the no, discussion I, I 100%. is it's crazy. Like if you have a really killer week and it was relatively smooth and your revenue was up for the week, it's like, all right, let's go, let's go forward. And then you have a slow week and a bunch of hangups and you're like, ah, do we really want to do this? No, like, no, it's really the direction we get. Because we've, I mean, we've opened the shop in December, but hmm. I we already have created so many strong relationships with so many regulars. And I hmm. love having those conversations with people and they're coming in and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, how how was the last week of school? And it's it's hard to think that that will not be the case if we do end up growing. You know what I mean? It's hmm. always the what if, you know, there's the the nice things about staying small and local. But then like Brian said, there's those weeks where we're like, let's, let's open a scoop shop everywhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe talk to that mentality of what you're talking about there, as far as those ebbs and flows, because that's, that's pretty, I mean, granted, there are some businesses that that keep their cash flow very high year round, but inevitably most retail businesses will have, you know, a little bit of a steady flow to them with some good weeks, some bad weeks, some really, really great weeks that make you want to take over the world. But what what do you guys do to practice to kind of keep that all in, you know, I'll um, take it in stride, I guess. Um, you know, it's tough. It, um, so surprisingly, obviously scoop shops and ice cream places, uh, are very, very busy in the summertime, but actually I, I believe we did the market research and more ice cream is sold like out of stores, like wholesale level, like half gallons and stuff like that in the winter than any other time during the year. So mm-hmm. that's why it's nice that we do have the pint availability. And that's also where you then get into, you know, smaller wholesale accounts, getting your product out there, getting your name out there because people ultimately we'll see it. They'll buy it, you know, especially sure. if they like it, they'll continue to come back, but we definitely do more. I mean, we definitely do more pints in the winter time than we do. You know, I, I say that we do more pints in the winter time, but at the end of the day, the scoop shop was only open one, two or so months during the winter this year. And then it started to get warm again. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll always have something that's very easy grab and go, you know, you're not going to want to sit outside when it's 30 degrees and eat ice cream, but we've got pints stocked <laughs> all the time. You know, we've got ice cream sandwiches stocked all the time. Yeah. You can take whatever with you. So is, is that part of the plan to kind of do these two tracks at once to have stuff to go and stuff 
in-house? And is that something that you're looking to you know, do maybe locally as far as distribution is to have some presence in stores while simultaneously doing the shop? Is that not on the cards right now? Or was that, what does that look like? Um, I mean, it's certainly possible. It can be done. Uh, you know, you have to get the right team involved. Sure. Obviously the two of us can't do it. So uh, whether we outsource or whether we hire um, uh, somebody that's an expert in that particular field, or we bring people in that don't, that may not necessarily know what they're doing, but we train them correctly to do what we do. So then we can focus on that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of leadership and training in business. I feel like if uh, you, you know, you train your employees properly, and I mean, right now we're talking about, you know, we've got 10 high school age scoopers that work and pretty much all they do is scoop ice cream and label pints. Um, but they're all relatively autonomous because we give them a lot of information in the beginning. We train them very well, or at least try to. Um, and in that way, after two, three or, you know, two or three months, they're able to do everything out front as far as the retail end goes almost as proficiently as we can. So that way we don't have to do that. And to grow to that level and to split those two avenues, I feel like you have to just keep mm. on that path of keeping everybody properly trained and um, motivated, more or less, you know, to do what it is that you don't have time to do. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we talked about this briefly before we came on, but like like most businesses, you want to do your market research before. Typically, there's a certain demographic that a business is approaching, but we're talking about ice cream, and it kind of has this all-encompassing demographic. Everybody loves ice cream. Everybody loves ice cream. So from a, a business standpoint, it's almost a very good play because it's like, hey, you know, we really don't have to cater to anybody in a very specific way. We do this thing and most people like something that we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so was that, I mean, I'm guessing that's not part of the reason why you started because you were just into the ice cream making itself, but it seems it's a good place to see we've landed in this position where we have a really good um, market presence in that all these people just naturally want our product. And I guess, I guess there's really not like, there's not much to like sell, I guess you could say, or maybe there is maybe talk about the sales side for a um, second. I, I, you know what? I actually, I'm going to push back on that one a little sure, bit. Absolutely. It's, it's not so much that there isn't much to sell. Um, yeah, you've got your traditional flavors, chocolate, vanilla, mint chocolate chip, all that. But we do a lot of very unique flavors. Like our flagship flavor is actually, uh, it's lavender honey vanilla. So it's made with a locally made um, lavender infused honey. And then we actually take the lavender pressings from the infusion and steep them in the ice cream base a little bit, strain it, and then it gets spun. And it's amazing. But most people hear lavender and they their brain immediately goes to like a candle or per perfume or something like that. And it's like, mm. eh, it's not that powerful. Like you have to try it. It's just a slightly floral ice cream. And everybody that tries it is usually like, oh, wow. Oh my God. I never thought about lavender and ice cream, but that's amazing. And so with 130 flavors, I mean, you can't keep on the whole traditional train at some point in time, you're eventually going to have to, um, you're going to have to start coming up with some really creative things and certain times pushing some of those flavors like uh, the rose water pistachio is one that a lot of people are like wait a minute but it's an amazing ice cream it's very refreshing ice cream. yes yeah marina did a halva ice cream uh you know tahini based so good most people mm. they look at it and they don't even know what it is and you say oh well it's you know uh it's one of the flavoring ingredients in hummus and they kind of look at you crazy. <laughs> it's like just try it. um i mean I, I think i think even years back pistachio might have been slightly in that realm yeah yeah you know a lot I mean? of people ask us nowadays though we probably get it what once a week somebody coming in and asking for pistachio ice cream yeah I remember yeah. the first time i saw it like in the store you're in it it's probably comes in different you know colors and stuff like that but it was like this bright green i was like what is that 
Um, and it just really kind of threw me off because you have your standards, things that are commonplace, conventional, that kind of stick. Mm-hmm. And then you have these random things that come in over the years. And pistachio, I would say, is pretty commonplace nowadays. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't disagree with that. Um, and that's the beauty of also having the shop. A lot of the questions we used to get with those, some of those off the wall flavors at the farmer's market, it was more of a, um, you know, oh, do you do samples? What's this taste like for, you know, our unconventional ones at the shop? I just hand you a spoon with a scoop, a little scoop of ice cream on it and say, here, try it first and let me know what you think. And then mm. usually that's when we convert people to some of the more off the wall stuff. And even if they don't necessarily buy the, uh, you know, more unconventional flavors, at the end of the day, they've tried it and they know, hey, there's something more out there than vanilla, the chocolate, the mint chocolate chip. So, and we also like to take some of the more traditional ones. Like uh, everybody kept asking us for Rocky Road. So we we're like, cool, let's do Rocky Road. Like, yeah, but just with our own little spin on it, and it, it was fun to do. A lot of people loved it. So, oh, and our cookie dough ice cream. People kept asking us for cookie dough. I actually cookie dough is like my least favorite ice cream. Hmm. I don't I don't like big chunks in my ice cream. But I was like, all right, a lot of people have asked, but I wanted to do our own spin on it. So every day we bake fresh chocolate chip cookies. Mm. At the end of the day, if I don't sell all of them, I was just keeping them in in a freezer bag. And I was like, I'll do something with them eventually because I don't like food waste. Mm. And so I was like, oh, well, I just took all of the chocolate chip cookies and just steeped them in the base and then whisked it together the next morning. And then spun it so you have a chocolate chip cookie ice cream and then i make homemade chocolate Mm. chip cookie dough that then gets put into it so it's our spin on cookie dough and we call it chipwrecked that's awesome like i think honestly that's one of my favorite combinations because i I, what i do like about ice cream i like the like the subtlety you know what i mean i like to kind of dig into okay i get that like you're saying the lavender and honey Mm -hmm. i'm sure i would love that because i don't want it to be so in my face but i want it to be like enough I i think cookies and cream is like the perfect balance Mm-hmm. That kind of gives like that little like okay we're we're kind of in that adjunct sphere but like it's it's uh reined in enough to not be overwhelming yeah mm-hmm. and like I I kind of agree with you I think cookie dough sometimes goes it's like whoa but I really do like chocolate chip cookies mm-hmm. and um you've what's what's that one I think um Ben and Jerry's has it and it's called like um, half baked yeah is that it is yeah. that the one. Yeah, it's um, like chocolate and vanilla ice cream with brownie and cookie dough. Yeah, and then there's yep. one that's just cookie. Hmm. Um, but whatever it is, it, it's awesome. But um, and then it ha- reminds me of the at Wawa. Do you guys ever get the uh, Chips Ahoy oh, milkshake? Yes. Yeah, no. Yo, like, like that. <laughs> that was awesome. Like that. Like, very few like gimmicky things like that. I really go in, all in for it. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. That was, I was like, that is very very good. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a chips ahoy cookie, like cookie butter milkshake type Ooh, thing going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we're just cooking up some new ideas on the show right here. <laughs> um, so I'm interested because let's kind of swing back to the actual day-to-day side of the business. I think people would be interested to hear what that looks like. Um, because we all all we see is you know the front of the glass, the flavors, and um, but what does it look like? So you guys get in and what what does it what does a typical day look like in, in your lives? <laughs> well, so tomorrow, um, I'll probably get in at eight in the morning to the shop. Uh, I have a lot of ice cream that needs to get spun. So I will start spinning ice cream in the machine while ice cream is spinning in the machine. I'm usually making base at the same time. Um, so all of our base gets made on electric burners. Um, hmm. so each base takes about two hours to make hmm. from start to finish. Uh, so I'm very good at multitasking. Um, so I'm usually spinning ice cream, making base, 
cleaning up the shop, getting ready to open, you know, we have to bake cookies, um, fill wholesale orders. Our employees get in around 4 30. Um, they usually help me restock and then they're labeling containers and helping me fill wholesale orders, organizing freezers, things like that. Um, and then we close the shop at nine hmm. and I'm usually home by 11. Um, so it's, it's nonstop every day. Hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, we're still small, so I'm the one that's going to the restaurant depot to get ingredients. Um, we go there at least once or twice a week. Um, Brian is going to work every day and then going to the restaurant store to pick up, you know, our paper, good products, things like that. Or he's also our maintenance man, (laughs) (laughs) maintenance man, uh, night manager, if you will. So I don't, I don't actually make it into the shop every day. Um, you know, I've got work obligations. Uh, we've got animals that need to be taken care of, but I'm there three to four days a week. Um, so generally it's like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday thing for me. I end up leaving work. I go right to the shop. Um, so I, you know, I put in like a nine hour day at work, drive an hour up, go to the shop, work till close. Um, that way she can continue to crank out products because not only are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like generally our busiest days, but we need to, they're the ones that deplete us for going into the weekend, which mm. tends to be even busier. So, and then we also, it's farmer's market season. So Saturday mornings, we got, you know, the farmer's market, Burlington County. So we have to be stocked for that and make sure everything's set up for that. And that's a whole mobile ice cream shop on wheels. I mean, we don't do scoops out there. We do pints and uh, like sandwiches, freeze pop, stuff like that. But uh, so all that's got to be packed, prepped, ready to go. I come to get to the shop about 6.45 in the morning on Saturday, load up, go do that for four or five hours, come back to the shop. And Saturdays generally I leave about 6.30. So, you know. Wow. Yep. Packed days for both of you. Yeah. And, and the commute too. I mean, mm-hmm. you have talking like a, what hour each way? Hour each Roughly, way. Roughly, yeah. 45 minutes to an hour, depending mm. on traffic. Has that hour. been a topic of conversation as far as? Oh, people always ask us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would imagine. Yeah. We, it was one of those things. We rent an apartment and we like our apartment. It's, it's decent. You know, we can have our mm. dog and our cat. Everything's fine. Um, when we were looking at the scoop shop here in Medford, we got delayed a lot you know, permits, construction, building during COVID is, mm. was not easy finding building materials. Um, and our lease was up around the same time when we were anticipating, we were hoping to open in October of was 2020, 2021, 2021. Yeah. Okay. We were supposed to, we are hoping to open in May and then October and our lease was up and we just kept renewing it because wrapping our heads around opening a shop and moving all of our stuff just seemed way too daunting. So we're stuck in our lease again until I think October, October. but now it's the market is crazy. And, Mm. you know, everywhere that we look to rent is twice as much as what we rent now. And sure. And then finding the time to even look for apartments or to move, yeah, yeah, to pack everything and then move it. So it's one of those things where a two hour commute is a pain, but it's just temporary. Sure. I yeah. listen to a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> a lot of podcasts. There you go. There you go. So maybe let's take a break real quick and pop open these bad boys. Oh, yeah. Right. These are, um, these were suggested by you guys, actually. I've, I don't, I've know the drink Orange Crush. I don't know if I've ever had one. Ooh. 
So um, this one is actually, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, it was a, what's your favorite drink? And Miranda's a gin and tonic person. I'm generally a bourbon old fashioned, but uh, being from Delaware, the, the orange crush is a staple from mm. the Delaware beaches, whether it be Dewey, whether it be Rehoboth, Bethany, um, it's a staple. They're everywhere. As Miranda said before the podcast, you go into bars down the beach in Delaware and they literally have every sometimes every six feet there is a crush juicer mounted directly to the bar and there's somebody is just nonstop squeezing fresh orange juice or fresh grapefruit juice or whatever the case may be um yeah but they're amazing it's generally just fresh squeezed juice vodka sprite um and some type of orange support triple sec what have you um but yeah they're they're extraordinarily popular in the summertime in delaware so even though it's not necessarily our favorite drink it was kind of a homage to where we grew up where we're from so Cool, cool. Well, the Delaware, huh? The Delaware. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this, this particular one we're drinking right now, it's uh, called Dewey Crush. It's a canned cocktail. From like. Starboard, which is actually one of the biggest bars down in Dewey. Yeah, you're telling me about that. Is that the, the, the huge one? Like the, yeah, massive. Yeah. Like talking like five five bars inside, inside the bar. Of the building, yeah. Yep, that's crazy. So... How would you say, is it, is this pretty accurate to what they, the, the fresh ones taste like, or is this uh, a little bit different? It's not bad. It's pretty close. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty close. It's a little more carbonated than I feel like you would typically see, but then again, it is more of a beer, you know, it's in a can. So that makes sense, but it's very good. Very booty, it's hard actually. to mimic yeah. fresh squeezed orange juice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like if you do anything to it, it kind of immediately loses that freshness. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so are you guys orange juice people? Like, do you like drink orange juice regularly? Um, is it, or is that like a thing in Delaware? Is that why this, this is such a so popular drink? You know, that's actually a good question, how that became a thing in Delaware. Because it's not like we're growing citrus in Delaware. Like, no, it's you, not, you, know, you think it would be a Florida thing or something. Exactly, you know I mean? yeah. Like, and it could be a transplant thing, something sure. like that. But um, no, that's actually a really good question. Maybe a little research involved in the history of the Orange Crush. We're going to have to dig into that a little bit. I'm genuinely A little, little side project. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe an Orange Crush ice cream. Is in the that's morning. what I was just Ooh, thinking. We do yeah. have an Orange Creamsicle ice cream yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's really interesting. So I, I would love to hear we talk a little bit about inspiration before about things. And sometimes when I'm doing a beer or something, I'll literally go down the beverage aisle of like anything like like tea, coffee, whatever, and just look around. And it's mm-hmm. it's the best. I love just looking and seeing what's what's that process for you? Like, is it anything you're, you're drinking, smelling, whatever? How could that be incorporated? And do you think about that a lot, maybe too much doing what you're doing? <laughs> I, I joke with the employees all the time because we have a big whiteboard at the shop and I have tons of ideas written down and I encourage them to add to the list as well because mm. they think of some really cool ideas. Um, what, so what, what's the best idea you've gotten from the employees? Yeah. I think chocolate chip muffin sounds good. I, don't know, I like cookie monster too. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah the cookie monster. Is that, is cookie monster just like every cookie or is it like a I think it was, it's like the blue ice cream. Blue with, vanilla ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. With like Oreos and stuff. Oh, and, and yeah. chocolate chip but, cookies. And, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm excited about the chocolate chip muffin. Yeah. I think that could be a good one. Are there, are there any trends that you see in ice cream that you just don't like? Trends. Like not, not, not trend. Trends may be the wrong word, but like any particular things that just don't taste good that you don't think should be an ice cream. Like you mentioned, you mentioned the cookie dough earlier. I don't think that was actually fault. It's, it's just like okay, it's not my preference. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, think of anything. So there, there's some. I'll give you like an example in, in the beer world because there's like people will just start using random things and 
you know, just to be innovative for the sake of innovation, which yeah. I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for trying things, being sure. innovative. Uh, but no, there was a big push towards the use of, you know, lactose in, in beers. Yeah. Mm. And, um, I think it works well in some styles, like milk stout always worked well, of course. Yeah. But other styles, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't really see, I don't think that has to be a thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I was just kind of curious if there was anything that kind of stuck out to you as like, well, I don't, I don't think that belongs there or is it, or is the, the ice cream world a little more just traditional in that sense? I think I know for myself, I try not to look at other ice cream shops mm. because I don't, I don't want to do what they're skew doing. My view. Yeah. I want, no. you know, I want to keep my head clear. Um, you know, one thing that I think sets us apart and I think other people are starting to do as well, but it's something that we've done from the start was that we don't add any artificial food coloring or mm. like weird extracts to our ice cream. Um, anything that we use is natural. So like yellow, we use turmeric, green is spirulina, mm. pink is beet powder. Um, and it's more challenging for me too, to try to figure out like, oh, well, how can I make this ice cream, you know, more of a different color just to bring it out. Um, a lot of our employees had wanted me to make cotton candy ice cream. Mm. And I was like, isn't that just sugar? Like, yeah, isn't sugar in air, yeah. Just cotton candy. Just, <laughs> like that's just sugar. You just want me to make a sweet ice cream. I don't, I like, I couldn't understand what they wanted me to make. Hmm. Yeah. It, um, yeah, I mean, so it, touching on the whole additive free thing, it, it's funny. We went to, we stopped in an ice cream place close to us whose name shall not be said. Um, and it was, uh, you know, they do a banana bread ice cream and we actually just started doing a banana bread ice cream. So you try it and it's, it just, it tastes like a run. Like you remember the runs candies, the banana ones. Mm. Um, that's exactly what it tastes like this fake, like plasticky banana. So our banana bread ice cream is actually just loaded. And I mean, loaded with a lot of fresh bananas, just peeled, blended and yeah, I mean, right they're, the they're machine, so sugary. Right? You really don't. Yeah. yeah you don't you know need I mean? it, especially if you get them at the right process and in, in the ripening, um, just right in and go, you know, and it's the natural flavors are there. You just have to be willing to work and learn how to, get all the flavor out of whatever mm. it is that you're using and, you know, as humanly possible. Do you think that's like people have this idea of what they want to make and either maybe it's too taxing on them to try to find a, the most genuine way to do it. And so they try to, they try to settle for something that gets the point across, but maybe doesn't quite hit the mark. I think what sets us apart from other shops is that I am a trained pastry chef. Mm. So I've, I have the knowledge of how to pull certain flavors out of things. I've worked with, you know, different fruits and different, you know, I've worked at a lot of different types of restaurants. So I have the knowledge to figure out how to make an ice cream taste a certain way. Whereas I think that some ice cream places, they buy already made base. And so mm. since they're already buying base, they don't have to make anything. So it's easier for them to just add, you know, an extract to right. it. It's, it's a simple, you know, just measure a tablespoon of almond extract into this. And nope, now I have almond ice cream and it goes in the machine. We make all of our ice cream from scratch. And that's a lot of ice cream shops don't do that anymore. That seems like a, a really good thing to do because it seems like base, if it's part of every ice cream, mm -hmm. if it's not good base to start, then 
it seems like you can't really win. Exactly. It's very, very important. Um, and it, it's very hard to get it precise too. Like you, you would think that you're just basically looking at sugar and fat um, mm-hmm. and it's too much fat. It overturns in the machine. It gets a weird texture, not enough fat. It doesn't aerate properly and you don't get as high of a yield or, you know, an overrun on your particular product. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely very, uh, it can be very challenging, especially when you get into certain ingredients, like, uh, like our peanut butter ice creams. You make your base as normal. You add the peanut butter. Now you've got way too high of a fat content. It's got a weird mouthfeel. It has mm. a tendency to, you know, get essentially buttery inside the machine. Um, so now recipes have to be altered. Things have to be tasted. And that's realistically where Miranda's experience really shines is being able to taste something and go, hmm, that's not right. And very, very quickly fix it on the fly. Like it hmm. may not be that particular batch, but we're not going through five or six more batches to figure out what the problem was. It's usually by the next one, bam, it's done. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe let's people listening who might be interested. What does the process look like? I mean, I, I think I've seen the old technique where, you know, you have like two coffee cans and you kind of roll it back oh. and forth, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, um, in your shop, what, what does the process look like? You said about two hours to, to make the base on the, and what, what are you making this in? Is it a big pot essentially? Yeah. So, uh, for the dairy ice cream base, it gets made in... I don't even know how big that pot it's is. Probably like 40 quarters at a 60 quart stock. Oh, uh, it's not 60. It's probably 40. Yeah, about mm. a 40 quart mm. stock pot. Uh, we don't have any gas running to the shop. So we rely on electric burners, which are fine for what we're doing. Mm. Um, so the dairy base start to finish takes about two hours. Uh, we boil the milk and, you know, add all the ingredients. And then that base has to get chilled and cooled fully for 24 hours. So that helps the milk kind of mature and just like settle back down. It has to Mm. kind of like relax. Mm. And then that's also when we're steeping in, you know, the lavender or the mint or whatever, you know, the coffee has to be steeped overnight. Even sometimes the coffee has to be steeped for two nights just to get all of the flavor out. Um, And then it gets strained. And then we have a Taylor uh, Frigimat the FR260 ice cream machine. <laughs> For all those listening, you want yeah. to get one. <laughs> um, it, both of our life savings and then some. Um, we tested a bunch of different ice cream machines before we opened the shop. Hmm. Uh, we were lucky enough to go like on site to a, a couple different places. Oh, sweet. Places. That's awesome. Yeah. And bring our base with us and, you know, test the machines themselves and see, you know, how our base was Worked in their with machine. Yeah. yeah. Because all machines are different. Um, so we, we found our dream machine and, um, <laughs> it takes about seven minutes to churn, uh, what, like six gallons of ice cream. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. And for comparison purposes, the machines that we were using yeah. previously would take about 30 minutes to spin about what? Four Half quarts? a gallon. Or, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah no, two quarts. Yeah. Wow. About yeah. 30 minutes, mm-hmm. two quarts. We had three of those going at one point in time. Oh my gosh. And it's one yeah. thing we knew going into the shop, um, was that there was absolutely no way we were going to be able to keep up with a scoop shop and, you know, the farmer's markets and wholesaling and everything with these three little tabletop machines. So we knew we had to get something big. So um, what was this? Is, this is, this is really good here because the, the process, so you kind of built up. So you had three of these smaller machines. We started, we started with, with one. one. Start with, one. with one. And then we moved the and second year we had two, third year we had and, three. And this is when you're doing like the, the, um, just the, the markets. markets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. And so as you're scaling there, okay, 
let's just get another one. So you yeah. got, they got two of them. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Another one. At what point were you like, okay, maybe we should just get something bigger. And <laughs> it was by, when by we the part, third one. Yeah, <laughs> the third machine was like, we need a bigger ice cream machine. But at the time we were renting a small amount of space off of a friend, which was also her storefront. So mm. we were there when the store was closed making ice cream and we couldn't put um, a, a dedicated ice cream machine. in. I, you know, these things are, Ours right now is single phase 220 line. Like it's a big machine. Like Most pounds. of them are water cooled, uh, three phase 220. Like they're giant machines. Like it has a very, very similar power draw to like a welder. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're, they're not little, uh, this one's on wheels. It can be rolled around, but yeah, as Miranda said, it weighs about 400 pounds. Like it's huge. Um, it stands about five foot tall, probably three foot deep and a foot and a half, two foot wide. Like yeah, it's massive my whole arm in the drum. The drum. Yeah, it, it's, 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 so, it's so funny because it, from the outside ice cream, like looks so innocent, you know, uh-huh. I mean? oh, it's just ice cream, you know? Mm-hmm. And but then you look at the back, it's like, Whoa, like that's the thing that makes it. Yeah. That, that yeah beast exactly. of a, it's it's yeah. not, uh, it's not the coffee can method anymore. What was <laughs> the other one, the, the, the wooden bucket with the crank and all that, you know, it's, it's gone <laughs> to those days for us anyway. Well, and the ice cream machine, we had no idea how much it was going to cost. Yeah. And it, it turns out it was, way more than we anticipated apparently ice cream machines are the most expensive piece of equipment that you can buy pizza ovens are second yeah well it's probably why (laughs) mcdonald's is always broken not fixing (laughs) it yeah 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 that's Um, a lot of people ask us if we have soft serve and i always say no because soft serve machines they break all the time. Yeah. They're very temperamental. They're, so temperamental. they're not clean. Why, why is that? It seems like, like it's so many moving pieces a lot more and it's technology. constantly running. Mm. You have to keep that in mind. You know, our ice cream machine, it gets used a lot, but it's only going at seven minute spurts. And then sure. we shut it down, we clean it, and then we put a new basin. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good business idea for anybody listening to get a, <laughs> you know, a um, soft serve machine that actually can last for couple Good years luck. you know yeah. or become a soft serve machine repairman yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um so as for ingredient wise what are we talking here we're talking milk mm-hmm. and what else You've got sugar whole milk sugar heavy cream um we actually our ice cream is a philadelphia style ice mm. cream as opposed to a french style ice cream so we use cream cheese to thicken it as mm. opposed to eggs. Oh, okay. And then that way it's twofold. One, I don't have to deal with tempering egg yolks. Sure. <laughs> and two, we don't have to worry about anyone with egg allergies. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yep. And then how does, um, is salt, where does salt come in? Is salt... Oh, everything gets salt. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like absolutely. I, like salt is so important. I don't yep. think people realize that. I mean, sometimes people like they'll make a steak and they want to put salt on oh. it. And I'm like, no. you know, like salt, it, Talk about it as like from a culinary perspective, like the draw that it does for, for salt flavor. Everything. Yeah. I mean, that's what's bringing out any flavor. Um, even just the flavor of milk itself is so good and creamy and mm. like the salt just helps bring all of that out. So we use sea salt. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you asked, let's say a hundred people, you know, does ice cream have salt in it? What do you think their response would be? 80% would say no. Yeah. <laughs> 80 out of 100 would say no. I, th- yeah. I don't think people realize that salt isn't everything. Yeah. But they would notice if it wasn't there. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yep. Um, that's how we feel about this drink. It's great. It's definitely good. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. It's, um, 
it's boozy just like the actual drink is you know but it's still light it's refreshing like i said it's a little more carbonated than what you would typically see with the um with the original drink but yeah very good i wish i was at the beach mm-hmm. yeah this is pretty good I, I like it um i can definitely tell that you know the juice has been in a can yeah. a little sure. bit yeah. but i mean i think for for what it is i think it's really done well granted this is my first orange crush. So, you know, I really can't speak to any previous ones I've had, mm-hmm. but um, I'll take your guys' word for it that, you know, this is pretty, um, pretty good. Is there, what else is, is typically in one? It's um, usually like a Sprite or something in sprite. that nature, um, you know, fresh squeezed orange juice, vodka, and then uh triple sack, Grand Marnier, whatever have you. And then sometimes mostly at the, at the Delaware beaches during summertime, because it has a tendency to be kind of um, little crazy you're not seeing too many garnish drinks or anything like that running around but generally it would have some type of garnish on it yeah whether it be an orange peel yeah um one part we didn't talk about which i'm really interested in is the process of the all the red tape stuff you had to go through Mm -hmm. to get this done i actually was scrolling on your guys's instagram earlier today and i was a one picture i guess it's you um i don't know where you are exactly like the local um Oh, at town hall, town hall with, my permits. with your permits <laughs> in the air. So it looks like based on that picture alone, that it was quite the process for you. Maybe just describe start to finish how that process kind of went. Um, I, I, I can tell oh, you one thing. Contractor. What's that? Yeah. Well, the first contractor, again, I'm not going to get in the names, um, but uh, you know, they, they were brought on. Actually, it, it really goes beyond that. It was okay. We signed a lease. Um, we looked at the property. We figured out rent. We did some some comparisons as far as rent and other locations. Did uh, did the market research as far as um, you know? Like one of the things we learned was that uh, ice cream shops and strip malls historically do very badly um, mm. for whatever reason. They just do not. They're not a draw for people. Um, and I, nobody knows why. They which, just don't. Which, which makes sense as to why you guys are. Separate yeah. building. Yeah. And if you see, if you really think about it, any um stand any ice cream shop that you see that's always super busy. And even if it's just a Rita's when they're in standalone buildings, they have a tendency to be a lot busier. There's a lot hmm. more of a line there. There's a lot more cars in the parking lot, um, stuff like that. So, you know, we knew that that was a direction we definitely didn't want to go. Um, and we did a little bit more market research as far as rent and all that. And we realized that what we were, you know, paying or what we were being asked to pay as far in the lease was um, very fair um, for what the building was, location, what was included. And then it went down to the architect and the engineer. And it's okay, what do we want to do? We mess around with floor plans. And it is a relatively small space that we were trying to squeeze a production facility and a scoop shop all in one. Um, mm. So it was a lot of, uh, I, there's probably still piles upon piles of I scratch paper in the apartment of different floor plans and layouts. And it would be, uh, I draw one, she'd draw one. We disagree on both of them, move on to the next one, just back and forth for a couple of months. Um, until we finally came up with something that um, we were happy with, you know, mm. um, and it, it was also very difficult because the building, uh, you know, the location of the ice cream shop and the feed mill in general is relatively historic. The building's pretty old and we wanted to keep as much of that like old, um, for lack of better terms, patina inside as possible. Obviously, you have to keep most of it covered up in the kitchen area just for sanitation purposes. But out in the scoop shop, it's not as big of a deal because um, it's not as as exposed a product. So we wanted to keep as much of that like mm. rustic farmhousey type look. So that was a lot of back and forth with the architect and then a lot of back and forth with the engineer to get make sure all the, the utilities were drawn in correctly and make sure everything was kind of hidden as much as possible. And then starts the process of finding a contractor that can actually get it done. Yeah, we 
initially hired a contractor and they were super excited about the project. We told them our budget. And then once all the plans were drawn up, contractor called me and was like, yeah, you know what? I thought about it and I'm not going to make enough money on this project. So I'm just not going to do it. Hmm. And I was like, but you didn't even give me your bid yet. And they were like, well, you can come pick up your permits. So lucky enough for us, our landlord has been extremely helpful. And I Hmm. called him immediately and he had two contractors send us bids that afternoon. We met with both contractors and we settled on one that was a little more um, easier to work with us. Um, You know, this was our first time doing any anything remotely close to this. Mm. We've, um, we're going in and we wanted to save as much money as possible. And this contractor was easier to work with. He was like, listen, like if you take this off, that'll save you money. If you don't do this, that'll save you money. He was just easier to communicate with. And, you know, we wrangled some family and we all had a painting party (laughs) and, you know, we, we learned a lot of lessons that, you know, if, and when we're ready to do the next scoop shop or the next, you know, whatever it is, a wholesale distribution production kitchen, we learn from our mistakes and we'll change, you know, how we went about a few things. I'm never painting ever again. I will hire a painter. Absolutely. <laughs> There's, they are worth the money. <laughs> it's funny because when you, when you buy a house, you rent an apartment, you get a job somewhere you take for granted little things like what kind of sink is in the bathroom or what kind of toilet or the placement of the flat top in the kitchen. You know, if, if you're in a full service kitchen or what kind of tables and chairs you're going to have, where they're going to go. Do you want outlets here? Do you want them there? What kind of lighting do you want? And it's like, I, I guess it would be something similar to building a house from scratch, buying, buying a plot of land and then going, you know, from the ground up. Um, Cause that's almost what we did. The building we got was a blank slate. It was completely gutted down to the studs and it was, you know, fit out from there. So it enabled us to do whatever we wanted with the space. Um, it of course made it a little bit more expensive because we're starting from the ground up. Um, not quite from the ground up, but we're starting from the walls, just bare empty walls, just a big rectangle. Um, and it also kind of, it's like, you're going through the engineer's plan and they have all this stuff listed, you know, as far as like what kind of hot water heater. And like, that's just stuff you don't think about if you've Mm. never done any type of like contracting work like that, or worked in that side of things. And it's like, oh, why did you choose this heater? Oh, well, because of blah, 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 blah. And, oh, we don't have natural gas hookups, electric, you know, we, we actually had to switch what ice cream machine we were going to go with because, um, we don't have the ability to draw three phase power to the building. We can only do single phase. So we had to change the the particular, you know, the specs on the, the machine that we went with to be able to accommodate that. So it's, mm-hmm. it was definitely a, it was definitely a learning curve. It was very, very stressful, but now that it's all done, we've seen the whole process start to finish. We both kind of joke occasionally and, you know, it's one of those, uh, we can't wait to do the next one because now we know what the hell we're actually doing and we can do it right <laughs> the second time. You know, not that we did it wrong this time, but yeah. right. not as there's not as much of a learning curve for round two. Oh, ab- so. absolutely. And like the decision fatigue, I can imagine was just like, my gosh, like just, just, just do it. You know what I mean? There I don't want <laughs> so many decisions, like light fixtures, like Brian said, outlets. I, I was, I don't know, just put outlets there, you know? And now, now that I'm in the shop, I'm like, 
I wish we had more outlets. You know? right. it's, just, it's things that you don't think about. It's kind of a catch 22 because now that you're in the space, you can kind of use it and see what you need. And so exactly. now for the next one, you can be like, okay, having been in a shop, I can yeah. say we need this, this X, Y, and Z. And of course, hindsight's 2020, you know, sure. um, you know, using the old phrase, but at the end of the day, we are definitely way more prepared, whether it is just building a production facility to go big wholesale or whether it's peewees two or what have you, whatever direction we decide, um, we're way more prepared to be able to fit that building out. I can tell you that for sure. It definitely feels good though, especially when we show people what the building looked like when we walked into it mm. and then they stand in the shop and they look around and they're like, what well, it it's, we it's had a lot indescribable. of we had a lot of friends and family come up on opening day and uh somebody had pulled up the address because it peewee's <laughs> ice cream hadn't quite existed on google yet like i had had it set up but you pull up the address 57 north main street and it was the building in the very very original form and it was like this it, i don't know if it was gray or <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the it picture was. on the google like uh street view yeah. or something. yes it was yeah. street view picture and it looked like i I don't know if it was like a meth lab or something out of criminal minds. Like it was bad. I'll pull up a picture. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to stay home. I today. actually yeah. I found that yeah. that picture is still <laughs> on Google, but um, it, and it was, it was funny. We like to joke that because you could see the before and after really well for the whole property, not just our, our portion of it. And uh, it's amazing how well that got transformed. And it was, it was kind of tough for us because we were the only ones that this was number one, everybody else that was involved in this project mm. had, they were on their second and third location. So they kind of knew what they were getting into. But I feel like at the end of the day, all of our, our individual businesses are very cohesive as far as fit and finish goes. Yeah. yeah I don't disagree. The, um, I noticed when I walked in the, the wall you have, you have like the garage door. Oh, our mural wall. And the mural wall. Yep. What was the, I have an inkling of what it might be, but what was the, the purpose of that? Uh, so Initially, that where the garage door is was oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, for those yeah, of you listening, uh, Brian showed me the picture of what it looked like before. Yeah, that looks like a looks like a like an old shed at like your uncle's house. <laughs> yeah. you, know, might, you know, it might hold yeah. like some. You know, you don't really want to go in there. But. Nope. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the wall. It's... Oh right, yeah. So um, initially, where the garage door is, we had mirroring sliding barn doors. Because mm. our building was originally built to just hold all of the feed that they were milling. And then there were train tracks that would come on either side and they would unload and load the train. Mm. And we really wanted to keep the barn doors because we wanted to keep as much, you know, history to the building as possible. And our landlord was like, you know, that's a great idea. He's very much for keeping historic, but it was one of those things where it was cheaper for us to just get garage doors than to try to repair the barn doors. Plus they were sure. sliding. So we would lose a lot of wall space. Mm. So we ended up salvaging the barn doors and we built the half wall that's in front of the dipping cabinet. So we still got to oh, keep it, you cool. know? Um, yeah. And then the garage door, we mirror Kings road and whole hog. We all have the same garage door. So it kind of ties the properties mm. together. And then I said to Brian, you know, that wall there, I want it to be something bright and inviting. You know, the garage door is glass. So if you're sitting in the parking lot, I want you to see this bright wall and be like, what Whoa, is that? You yeah. know, I want it to draw people in. So my best friend is an artist. Um, she lives in Vermont and I called her and I said, I want to do a mural wall. I am not, I am creative when it comes to ice cream. 
I am not creative when it comes to art. And plus you just got finished saying you weren't going to ever paint again. So. Yes. No, I don't paint. <laughs> yeah. And so I told her, you know, I just want you to paint something just, hmm. and I was like, here, here are the brand colors. I'll buy the paint. I'll buy the brushes and you just have at it. And she spent three days over like the Thanksgiving break. She came home and she went and she painted and we got to the shop and loved it. it I do love it. it. But for the record, I wanted an obnoxiously large <laughs> neon ice cream cone in the window. <laughs> just bad. Yeah. That's not off the table yet. Ne there ne might neon, be a neon, neon sign in our future. Like ne neon ne bulb, you know, yeah. like gotcha. light up, yeah. like old yeah. school. Yeah. No, like I started looking at I, that's another one I realized how expensive those things are when you get into custom making them. But sure. there's companies that'll do it. And it's still, like she said, it's not it's off the, the table. table. But I, I love the wall. It's almost like the like the selfie wall. It's like the, the social media wall. I was, the I was just gonna wall. say yep. and that was we wanted it to be something that where you could take pictures, you know, because that's it's very trendy. <laughs> No, yeah. it, it's great. I mean, from, from a marketing standpoint, I think it's one of the best things. I mean, it costs like almost nothing. Yeah. You, you have it's a wonderful. wall and people say, oh, whoa, where is that wall? Yep. Mm -hmm. I want to go take a picture. And they're taking the picture. I'm going to get some ice cream. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm -hmm. Like there's literally a few restaurants in Philadelphia. I forget the names of them, but there's that one. Like the Bloom. Bloom. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. It's, it's like, like the most Instagrammable bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's like, like, I knew that was even a word, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. people just go there literally like the dinner is an afterthought, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or having food or drinks an afterthought. It's really to go there to see what the place looks like, yep. which is pretty, pretty wild. So that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that. I was like, that's a, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, you see people taking selfies out there a lot? We do. Yeah. Yep. yeah, it happens. Yep. And it's, it's the perfect backdrop too, because not only am I making all of the ice cream and everything else, I'm also our social media manager. Mm -hmm. So the mural wall makes the perfect backdrop because I have all of these different pops of color that I can use, or I can just use all of the pops of color. Um, so it's mm. really kind of like a twofold there. Let's talk about community for a second. Um, I get a sense and I can just tell by being there, the feed mill in general has a really good sense of community, mm -hmm. both from how everyone kind of works together, the collaboration that happens. And I think that's almost bound to happen whenever you have um, just really cool businesses in proximity like that, especially ones that can kind of draw off the strengths of the other ones. Like mm -hmm. you mentioned, I think you use Harvest Coffee, which is right across the way. Yep. You use their coffee in some of your ice creams. And then um, Kings Road, I think they make a root beer. Yep. You guys do a root beer float with that. And they're making a Pee Wee's ice cream beer right now. Wow. Very yeah, once cool. It, uh, once it's ready and we've tried it, we'll get into the details of it yeah. um, as far as what exactly it's going to be. But I can tell you that it is inspired from our lavender, honey, vanilla, the flagship flavor. Wow. So, yeah. Very cool. Yep. Does anybody else know that? Um, I'm sure it's been talked about. It's not a super hush hush thing, but it's one of those, um, you know, the brewer over there at Kings Road, um, Josh, he's amazing. So he's very, very like, I, I'm one of those, I'm a recreational beer enthusiast. Oh, cool. And you start to talk to somebody that's a beer brewer, especially like a professional one. Um, and you realize how quickly you don't know anything about beer. <laughs> yeah. It's just it, the knowledge base blows you away. <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to be over here while you do your thing. And I'll drink it when you're done. We got some ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, no, yeah. But that, um, we've actually talked about doing, um, and we're still trying to figure out the legalities of it. Um, but doing like beer floats, you know, like, mm. uh, you know, scoop of beer or scoop of ice cream beer on top. And then, uh, from there, you know, you got like this cool boozy adult float. Um, and yeah, you, know, you know, there's certain things that need to be navigated. Uh, like I said, as far as legalities go, we need to make sure that everything's legitimate before we go down that road. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's fun. It, we, 
at the female, everybody's very, very like-minded. Um, we don't, I don't want to say we don't have a bunch of A-type personalities because I feel like everybody is a little bit, but everybody's experienced enough in life that you right. can kind of dial it back and you know how to kind of push your ego to the side and say, hey, sure. how can we as a collective get this done together? It's not my way or the highway, you know, and you it's really, really awesome. You really want the feed mill to be a hub, like a fun place for you to just go and you can grab dinner, you grab coffee, you grab a beer, ice cream, you can sit and hang out for a while. It's not just a one-stop you know, park your car, run in and leave. You can hang out for the day and just, you know, relax. It's kind of crazy how quickly that all happened. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I've had this office for a couple of years here and like, it seemed like overnight that whole thing kind of just like shifted. Like one day I was driving down there. It was like nothing there. It was like the old buildings. And <laughs> yep. all of a sudden I was like, what, when did this get here? You know what I mean? It was a really quick process, but I think that kind of speaks to the whole collaboration side. When it's like a common goal of, Hey, Yep. We're all going to help each other out and mm -hmm. we can, everyone's kind of all bought into this thing. And even before, when you were mentioning your, um, your friend at the the place over at Haddonfield who originally called you about the ice cream machine, mm -hmm. I think there's so much collaboration that businesses can do, even if you're not in the same field, you know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. so much cross business that can happen. And honestly, that's kind of why I wanted to start this podcast. I've already had people on the podcast who have been working together mm -hmm. because of the podcast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, we're very fortunate. You know, sometimes you think that, like, I, I don't know, that business is very cutthroat, mm. which I'm sure, yes, it is. However, small businesses, we all just want to help each other out. You know, we, we, this was our first time doing this. Like Brian said, you know, Harvest, uh, Kings Road and Whole Hog, this is all their second or third location. All of the business owners were ex extremely helpful to us. You know, and Melissa from Micha, she went through this already. She could give us pointers. You know, we try to help out other small businesses when we can, because we've had small businesses help us. Um, and you know, we're just trying to work on more collaborations. You know, we're going to do a collaboration with mystical blossoms using their mm. tea for one of our ice creams. So we just want to keep, you know, Medford is such a great small business community and it's very well supported. Um, the community here is just, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in our family ask us, you know, why we didn't open an ice cream shop in Delaware. And unfortunately in the town that we grew up in, there's not a lot of small mom and pop businesses. Mm. It is very much, you know, chains, big business, which is fine, but you know, we don't have a town like this where we're from. Mm -hmm. It seems like, um, once you build it, people want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I can already, I know a few other people who are seriously looking at moving their businesses to this main street just yeah. because yeah. of, okay, it's, it's starting to have it's a vibe, a strong main street. It's starting to have a vibe now. And yeah. like, I mean, it always did have a vibe, yeah. but now it's, it's much more robust than it, we than know it was in the past of a few. And I don't know how official anything is, so I won't, you know, name drop, but we know a few that are like 95% going to be coming to Medford to be on main street, whether it's moving or second location, simply because of what's happened up and down main street over the course of what the last year, you yeah. know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe with that, let's, let's talk about your vision for the future. I know it's, you know, up in the air. It's one of those things that you guys seem to have talked about at some length, at least um, by yourselves. But I guess maybe let's look a few years down the line. What do you envision for Peewees and where do you, I guess, ideally want it to be? 
as a brand? I just want two days off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, as a business model, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jenny's ice cream. Um, possibly there, there are, are pretty large, not so much regional anymore, like similar concept, artisanal ice cream. Um, and they do scoop shops and they do wholesale and they do uh, like e-commerce. You can order ice cream Got from it. them, stuff like that. They're, they're also similar to salt and straw. Okay. Yeah. Van Leeuwen, stuff like that. Um, like their business models don't necessarily know that we want to go into that three prong attack of, um, scoop shops and wholesale and e-commerce honestly the whole thought of e-commerce with ice cream <laughs> drives me nuts like i know it can be done with dry ice and shipping and all that but you got to ship a lot of ice cream to get the shipping down cheap enough to make it you know, yeah and, and quite um, frankly the ice cream seems like probably one of the hardest products to it's got to be yeah, yeah it's got to yeah. be 100 percent um but uh you know wholesale um Scoop shops is tough because um, realistically, I mean, we could push north and then, you know, further into New Jersey, we could push south. Um, there's a lot of other good similar ice cream shops to what we do um, that are, they do produce a good product. Um, and then when you start to push into Philadelphia, now you're in a completely different market space. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of different things and it's very tough to get your brand to catch on. And you will be criticized very heavily on whether or not your product is actually good. Not that that doesn't happen here in New Jersey or that people in New Jersey don't know as much about food, but people in Philadelphia will tell you if it's not Philly's good. Cutthroat. Yeah, they are very, it, the, the consumer base there is just totally different. Yeah. And then to even go, not necessarily exactly in the town where we grew up, but Delaware in general, there is two very, very good, very prominent ice cream companies down there that aren't even regional. They're local, just like we do, single location, stuff like that. Um, but they're very good. Uh, one of which is a dairy farm that has their own cows. So they're mm. pulling all their dairy off their own farm. They control wow. everything from start to finish. And that's tough to compete with. Um, texturally, their ice cream is very good. Um, I think our flavors are better. Uh, but, you know, and then there's a couple other ones similar that have cult followings. So now this is a, you're trying to go into an area where there is very established companies that have cult followings and you're saying, Hey, I'm going to come uproot you guys or, you know, come take a a piece of your market share and we're going to open up shops. So it's, um, something is definitely in the books. It's not just going to be peewees and Medford and that's it. We just haven't quite finished the market research essentially to figure out what's the most feasible option as far Mm -hmm. as expansion. So, yeah. Um, and just for anybody listening who might have an endeavor, maybe you want to start a cigar shop or whatever it is. They're like, Hey, I need to do some market research. Are there any tools that you guys use that you found extremely helpful in that process? Uh, a lot of Google, um, a lot of you know government <laughs> census related data. You'd be shocked how much information is actually in the census related data, uh, mm. which is publicly available. Most of it is anyway. Um, you just have to know how to navigate it. And like anything, trying to navigate anything that the U.S. government gives you is very, very difficult. It's not sure. easy. Um, but the information's there as far as um, demographics, average income in a particular area to know whether or not it's worth it to sell your type of product. Like what, you know, it, it's all there. You just have to find it. There isn't any one particular tool. It's just a, a lot of Google and a lot of comparing the different things you read to see what's crap and what's not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um is there anything that has you guys really stoked for the the future? Things that things that like make you, even like in this town alone, like we talk about the buzz that's that's kind of happening here. Um, is there anything like to go along with that vision? And again, it's not fully fully baked yet. Um, what really 
maybe other product lines. I think you guys do other things, just ice cream, correct? You do um, some like baked cookies you, you said you did? Uh, we fresh baked chocolate chip cookies every day to be witchy, trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, so I eventually, you know, we started the idea about the school and, you know, we have binders and of five mm. kind of dessert date night, you know, late night something, but we decided, you know, we're going to focus on the ice cream first. And then once we, you know, get that all settled, then we can start peppering in, you know, more Sundays, more special cookies, you know, for St. Patrick's day, I made chocolate whiskey cookies that people still ask me for. <laughs> and I'm like, I just, I need more time. <laughs> I just, right. um, or I need to hire somebody <laughs> to, to start making ice cream. Um, but it's, it's tough. It's one of those things where, you know, it's our baby and we, mm. we want to be there and we want to be a part of every step. And we're slowly starting to realize that we need in order to grow, we both need to start stepping away and giving little things mm. away. Yeah, and yeah. we're very fortunate The you know, we hired 10 high school kids I've never worked with high school kids. You know, when I, <laughs> when I managed in Philadelphia, everyone was older than me or slightly younger than me, but definitely not 16. And so we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And I got to tell you every single one of our employees, and maybe it's the way that we train, but they are very reliable and hearing them say, you know, our spiels and we're standing in the back listening. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like, I don't know. You're it's, like a proud parent. I, yeah. I do. Yeah, almost, I feel yeah. like, I feel like so proud, like when they handle situations and they don't need me, I'm like, Oh, I should be out there, but they're, they don't need me. You right. know, Brian and I are both against micromanaging. We don't like having that mindset. You know, we train very thoroughly and we let you go. And we hope not hope for the best, but sure. you know, we'll keep an eye. I mean, they're there to do their job, but exactly. They're there to do their job and they're doing a great job. And at the end of the day, you can put all the emphasis on leadership and training as you want, as much as you want. And um, it, it is extremely important, but those two things can't replace work ethic. If somebody doesn't have a good work ethic, you can try to motivate them all they want. And I, I do um, I, I study a little bit of basic psychology as far as figuring out what people's motivations are, whether it's money, they need to please, whatever the case may be. So that way you can keep them focused on doing their job with whatever it is that drives them. So sure. if they don't have a good work ethic, none of that works. So, mm. and we just, we happen to, I don't know if we happen to find 10 kids or, you know, 10 young adults that have a very good work ethic, or if it was just something that we saw in them during the interview process that not, neither of us realized that we saw, but we mm. did, um, we got a great group in there. So, yeah. So it sounds, yeah. I mean, keep doing what you're doing then. It sounds yeah. like it's, it's going well. Um, so what we like to do here is called a quick question round. And so it's really just going through a few quick things, some related to business, some not, some just kind of get a general pulse on what's happening out there, but we'll kind of just run through these real quick. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so for both of you, what is the coolest thing you've seen lately? Anything could be related to ice cream or otherwise. Coolest thing lately. I don't know. My brain went to that like creepy looking grasshopper that just flew into up your Oh car. yeah. Driving down 70. I, I, I call it strange. Actually. Yeah. That was really weird. Um, 
where one of the bottlenecks on 70 where it goes down from a four lane highway to a two lane <laughs> highway and it's um you know there's a lot of people trying to turn off to the left and everything and i seen something come low to the road and then blow up on the hood it looked like a leaf and all of a sudden it flips over and it's this massive i don't some type of grasshopper but it's every bit of three inches long and i'm like <laughs> and it's just walking around on the hood of my car and i'm like we're driving down 70 in traffic and i'm like do you see this? Like, is it, this thing's just like, yeah, I'm going to hit your ride for a half a mile or so. And I'm going to keep moving. And it hopped off. Um, That actually was very recent and really cool. Yeah, but... I know. That was the first one that popped in my head. Yeah. No, that was awesome. Yeah. I forgot all about that. That quickly. You should name an ice cream after that. I don't know what it'd be called, grasshopper. but grasshopper. Grasshopper is an ice cream, actually. Um, it's a drink. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, we can turn it into an ice cream. That's sure. very true. <laughs> um, What tools do you use on a daily basis that you couldn't live without? And this could be like a physical tool or it could be like a software tool or something along those lines oh my whisk i have a giant whisk it's like how, how big it's like two feet long wow it's like a two foot long whisk it's and what, my favorite whisk and what do you use that for I'm, oh i whisk all the bases together oh that's for so for you talking about like flavoring and stuff like that oh yeah yeah well gotcha. so you know the base that we make it gets cold overnight and you have to give it a really good stir before you put it into the the ice cream machine okay so that's i use my whisk and how and how uh physically demanding is that oh it's <laughs> sometimes i'm shocked at the amount of weight that she can lift being <laughs> such a small person um but yeah like i, I what's a a bucket of ice cream base uh, way that you're lifting four and a half five feet in the air probably every bit of what 50 pounds no it's probably like 30 pounds mm. and i lift it about five feet up into the air and then you know there's 50 pound bags of sugar that i'm constantly picking up and lifting and and the cases of milk and heavy cream and the freezers yeah yeah the freezers we actually did the math one day because the um the freezer on the the spec sheet on the back of it the small ones that we take to the farmer's market has you know it's it's uh, empty weight hmm. and then we did the math figuring out what uh pint of ice cream weighs with packaging and everything and you know multiplied everything together and realized that these little freezers that are what three foot two and a half foot three foot tall by four foot ish wide yeah. roughly um that we're picking up and putting in the back of an SUV every Saturday and then taking out and putting on the ground weigh like a hundred and like 65 pounds each. And we're like, Oh, okay. Each one of us, like we generally, if we're both around, we'll each grab one side and pull it out, but routinely pick it up, put it on the ground. Like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, I didn't realize they were that heavy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, we were barrel aging a beer mm -hmm. and it was like half full and we realized we had to move it. And we were like, Oh, oh my no. gosh. And so afterwards we were doing the math and it was like, this thing must've been like 350 yeah, or yeah. more. And it was, my gosh. And we're both like, and it's awkward there. to grab yeah. a barrel. Exactly. Yes. That was the biggest thing. Like the, the weight itself would have been like manageable, yeah. but it was like the fact that you couldn't even, you can't there's no handles. It. There's nothing to like grab yeah. onto. Yeah. You're just kind of yeah. hugging it. Um, so I, I know you're coming from with that one. Um, what do you use? Hmm? What do you use every day? Ice cream related. Oh no, I just life related. Well, uh, ice cream later, I would say I'm in a constant battle with the point of sale. Um, it's, um, <laughs> trying to get, the yeah. programmed. I, I, I was the night before we opened. So is I, that, is that a good thing? It's not a good tool or is it as a good, no, tool? it's definitely a good tool. It's just something that I haven't, Brian, I either, all the technology. I either haven't mastered it or it's just not the most intuitive in programming. Huh. So it's one of those, like, it was like three o'clock in the morning, the night before we're slated to open at noon the next day. And I'm ready to throw the whole register out the front door. Just like, you know what? We'll just do a pen and paper and cash, and whatever, <laughs> you know, um, I got it done. It's completely programmed. Everything's good. Um, 
it, the, the system that we use is very, um, it can do anything you want it to do. It's just about figuring out how to get it to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I, it works. There's a laundry list of things I touch every day that we can go down as far as being a mechanic goes, but that's for another time. Um, over the next 90 days, what are the most transformational changes that you're looking to make? Bringing more business in on our slow days, honestly, and figuring out how to market where we are and what we are more importantly to people. Mm. Um, we like to say to customers all the time, we both do it. Uh, and I don't think we, it wasn't anything we put our heads together and said, this is our company slogan. This is our company motto. Um, but as I said before, we're known for some of our vegan ice creams, which are very good. We've always got 20 flavors on at the shop, eight of which are always dairy free vegan. Mm. Um, and that's like unheard of in the ice cream business. People have vegan ice creams. Nobody's got eight flavors on at once, or sure. at least not many shops do. Um, we're very, very allergy conscious. So we always like to say that um, we like to uh, we like to make ice cream that everybody can enjoy. Um, seeing a little kid come into a shop that's lactose, even not necessarily vegan, that can't eat any ice cream. It's like, okay. And you see just like the defeat in their face. And then they come into our shop and there's eight different flavors they can choose from. And they're like, mm. oh my God, they get so excited. It's amazing. And, and honestly, to get more business, it's to push that level of this is what we do and why we do it and get it out to more people to bring them to where we are. Yeah. It makes me so happy when we get new customers that come in and they're like, Oh, we heard you had some vegan options. Mm. And then they realize we have eight and we have vegan whipped cream. It's, it's, it's cone, not just like one cookies. option. That's like push yeah, off to the side. Yeah, yeah. It's not a, a sorbet or just vanilla. It's, you know, it's eight standalone flavors. And then we have toppings and sprinkles and chocolate sauce and cookies. And they're just like, I, I almost had a grown man cry the other day wow. because he was so excited to mm. just not have to choose chocolate or vanilla and that he could have whipped cream on his milkshake for the first time in like right. eight years. You know, it just, it, it makes me happy. I just yeah. want everybody to eat ice cream. <laughs> so so what, what does that look like from a vegan standpoint of not being able to use dairy? So, so no animal products, so no okay. dairy, no honey, no eggs. Most food coloring is out. Yeah. All, almost all food coloring. Yeah. And that's, it fits with our business anyway, because we don't use food. So coloring. What, what do you use? Like what's like the, so for like green, we use spirulina for red. We use beet powder. Yellow is turmeric. Um, green I've used, or uh, purple. I've used ube powder. Um, you pea flour before, didn't you? I've used pea flour for blue. Mm. There's also blue spirulina for blue. So it's it adds a little bit more of a challenge for me because I'm like, oh, you know, I I'm a believer that mint chocolate chip ice cream should be green. Mm. It doesn't taste right unless it's green. Uh. Um, so you know, I use a mix of fresh mint leaves, which helps tint it green, and then I also use a little bit of spirulina. Mm. And and for the base, so if you're not using milk. I mean, this might, be, the vegan. this might be a proprietary, so I don't want to, you know, oh, no, no. Like, so what, what is it? What is ice cream is a coconut soy blend. Oh, okay. Yep. So we found that, you know, if you just use coconut milk or if you just use soy milk, you taste coconut or right. soy. Right. And we want our vegan ice cream to taste like ice cream, like ice cream. I don't want it to taste like, oh, this vanilla ice cream tastes like coconut. No, my <laughs> vanilla ice cream vegan tastes like vanilla ice cream. Mm. You know, it'll taste like coconut if it's a coconut ice cream, like coconut chocolate we've done before. Um, but we want, we just want our vegan ice cream to taste like ice cream. It shouldn't taste different just because there's no dairy added to it. 
And, you know, it, it costs us a little bit more to make the vegan ice cream and it doesn't yield as much as the dairy, but we don't charge a different price because we want everyone to try it. Mm. And a lot of times people won't even realize that I they're getting, people. they'll get like a scoop of our vegan peanut butter and then a scoop of our dairy chocolate. And they'll have no idea that mm. they have a vegan scoop. And that, that makes my day. That's I, cool. You know, I just want to open people up. I, I hate when people come in and they're just like, oh, it's vegan. It probably doesn't taste good. Mm. No, it does. It tastes great. Do you want to try it here? Here's a sample spoon. Mm-hmm. And then they try it and they're like, oh, wow, that tastes amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Now veg is veg, veg is vegetarian or is that? It was vegan. It was vegan. Okay. Yeah. I, I ate there and I, granted, I'm I'll eat it if it tastes good. You know what I mean? I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not really, I don't have any prerogative either way, but that was awesome food. It, it was re- great. It really was. Um, I didn't have their desserts there, but I'm, I, I know it's a shame looking back, but, um, what type of things do you do there? Um, on the dessert side? Uh, so I started with the company as a pastry assistant in, in at V street. I, it, I was going through a time where I didn't think I wanted to be a pastry chef anymore. Mm. So I started serving, um, because I loved the restaurant industry, but being a line cook 10 years ago was horrible. Uh, it was crappy pay, crappy hours, you know, hot basements, just no healthcare, just, you know, COVID really helped change a lot of, you know, uh, restaurant workers. And I'm very happy for that. But unfortunately I had to live through, you know, getting paid $10 an hour, um, with horrible bosses. And anyway, so I wanted to start serving and I started serving at V street and, the one day I was talking to one of the owners and he found out that I was a pastry chef and he was like, Oh, we need like someone to help our pastry chef here, like a couple of days a week. So I started part-time and then I realized I missed pastry too much. And mm. so then I became the, you know, full-time pastry chef at B street, which then, uh, turned into, I got promoted and I became the pastry chef of veg and I was there for three years. And then, Um, we did our little, you know, vacation thing. We came back and I met with the owners and I ended up getting a job back with the company and I became their corporate pastry chef because they Mm. had, um, essentially grown into three restaurants at that time. And so I head up their entire pastry division. So I would come up with new desserts. I would write up the recipes. I would go, I would train at the different restaurants, implement the new desserts, Um, and I really enjoyed it. I liked traveling. Um, I enjoyed working for the company. It was a great experience. Um, but then when COVID hit and all, you know, all of Philadelphia, the whole world shut down, you know, there was no answers and Mm. nobody really knew what was happening. So we kind of changed focus into the ice cream business. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And then finally, what is your favorite beverage? Both of you like alcoholic or non-alcoholic anything you want. I'm in general, it's coffee for me. I drink a lot of coffee and it's, um, I've, I've actually recently, and, uh, I'm partially going to shift some of the blame to Joe from harvest on this one. Yeah. I turned into a bit of a coffee snob lately. I don't, yeah. I grew up, you know, with the folders in the Maxwell house and it was always in the house and that's what my dad drank. And that's what my mom drank. And, uh, I always thought that that's what coffee was. And, um, you know, and then I met Miranda and I'd started to go to some smaller coffee shops, but then I really started to like learn more about coffee from Joe and like the roasting of the beans and different profiles and not everything's got to be dark roast and da, 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 da. and um, coffee's probably my favorite 
followed shortly by bourbon. Cool. Awesome. I don't disagree with Brian. I drink a lot of coffee um, and I'm very spoiled because the more he learns about coffee, the more he makes me coffee. (laughs) So I don't actually make coffee anymore and it's great. Um, But my, my alcoholic beverage of choice is a gin and tonic. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been super interesting. So thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Um, And so I'm gonna give you the next, you know, few moments or so to plug anything you want to plug talk about any projects you have coming up. And so the next few moments are yours. Plug anything we want to plug. No, uh, honestly, I I want to plug not just the shop, um, Pee Wee's ice cream, but the feed mill as a whole. Um, 67 and 57 North Main Street, Medford, New Jersey. Uh, You know, we've got Harvest Coffee. We've got Whole Hog Cafe, which is amazing barbecue. Um, We've got Kings Road, who does amazing beer. And then you have us, you know, ice cream, uh, craft ice cream, vegan ice cream, very allergy friendly. Uh, Definitely come out. We've got a huge plot, lots of outdoor seating, cornhole, place for games, stuff like that. So it's not just a come in and grab something and leave as Miranda mm. said earlier in the podcast. It's kind of a, it's kind of an experience. You got to come check it out. Yeah. And if you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we just launched a TikTok Whoa. thanks to our employees, <laughs> those high schoolers, huh? Yeah. That's they exactly love it. their TikTok. Um, but yeah, if you follow us and we also have a website, peeweesicecream.com. Um, and you can follow there for any upcoming events. You know, we're going to, keep going with we try to keep the flavor list on the website updated. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, if you see it on the website, that's what we have scoopable available. So. Yep. And we've got ice cream cakes and pies, and everything you need for your next party. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. And you'll get notifications wherever new, whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us, our email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. If you follow us on Instagram, it's at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Subasinski, and you've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time.